The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. So, we're back in John. It's been a few weeks, um, and I was, I was excited as I was just thinking about being back in John uh, to kind of to start how we've started the sermons before John because it is such a, a wonderful truth that that the God of the universe, the God who created the world and everything in it, the sovereign God became a human being. And as it says in, in one translation in John one fourteen, he moved into our neighborhood. Isn't that incredible to think about that? I mean, we live on blood so I mean, just God moving into a house on Bledsoe and and being our neighbor. And that's what the God of the universe did. And he did that. So whether, you know, whether you grew up in, in the boonies like I did in Manchester or you grew up in Chicago or L.A. or Bremerton, whether you grew up in a family that, Love Jesus or grew up in a family that didn't know anything about Jesus, that we have a God who became like us so that we could have life in him. Isn't that amazing? He's not distant. He's not, but he came. Um, the end of the book of John says, these things as it's talking about the whole book of John were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the promised coming king and that by believing, you might have life in his name. And that's what's available to every one of us, is life in Jesus, no matter who we are. And so we're going to come back into the book of John here. I'm going to read, starting at John fifteen twenty six. It says, when the advocate comes, and the advocate is referring to the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, whom Jesus will send to us from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. And this is Jesus starting in John 14, 1 letting his disciples know that he's going to be leaving. He's going back to heaven. And he's concerned that when he leaves, they're going to fall away. And so that's why he's telling them about the Holy Spirit. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. I mean, incredible grief. Jesus has been with them, walked with them for three years, and now he says that he's going. And what are they going to do? But verse 7, but... Truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, 
will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you what he will make known to you. More than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine and that is why I said the Spirit will receive from me. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I need you as I preach from your word this morning. I need your word to give me the words that you want me to speak. We need you to give us ears to hear and hearts to respond and and minds to understand. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would teach us and that as you promise in these verses that you would lead us into the truth that you want us to hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So for those of you that are old like me, there is an old song I'd like to, I'll read it for you. It goes like this. It says, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's kind of a hippie song. You know, my wife loves these kind of songs. <laughs> she, she's like wanted to be a hippie. Um, sorry. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. Lord, we don't need another mountain. False. There are mountains and hillsides enough to climb. There are oceans and rivers enough to cross, enough to last till the end of time, because what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. Lord, we don't need another meadow. This person had like an anti-nature streak about him or something. I don't know. It says, there are cornfields and wheat fields enough to grow. There are sunbeams and moonbeams enough to shine. Oh, listen, Lord, if you want to know. Notice this person thinks they're like God's consultant or something. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some. Oh, but just forever, every, everyone. Isn't that nice? Well, um, So the question I want you to be thinking about this morning is what is our greatest need? What is your greatest need? 
I think the answers, if we were to go out on the streets and ask that question, would probably be as diverse as the people that we would talk to. But I think one thing is for sure, that if we asked most people in the Pacific Northwest in the morning what their greatest need would, was, they'd say coffee, right? Yeah. So isn't that good news that you're in a place where you can get coffee? You're not needy. Well, except for that. So if we were to ask people, what is the greatest need? What is your greatest need? I think we would get answers from money. I need more money. I need health, a job, peace, love, understanding. We need better leadership, uh, clean water. My my wife, I'm not meaning to pick on her this morning, but... Um, is teaching a class at Olympic College on, I forgot, what was it again? Current world issues. issues. And so she is learning about and talking about waste. Did you realize what a big issue waste is in our world? And um, so what is the need of our world? Is it clean water? One of the things she's teaching on. Is it sustainable energy? What is the greatest need that we face. Now, being the fact that you are people in a church service this morning, and if what, what do you think is the right answer to that question? What is our greatest need? Spirit. Jesus. Jesus would be the correct answer, right? <laughs> I mean, that would be the Sunday school answer. Kristen cheated because she was in the first service <laughs> and so we're going to excommunicate her no it's, just kidding <laughs> okay um, I mean the, the, the first answer that would have come to Kristen's mind in the first service was Jesus but I wonder is that really the correct answer and let me give you a couple of illustrations to help you with this Let's say that I'm, I am needing a donut. Okay, I'm having a donut craving. I want you to know that I'm 39 days clean from donuts or something. I don't know, I just made that up. The, uh, but I'm craving a donut. And I don't know where I could buy a donut. So what is my greatest need at that time? It's not really the donut, but it's somebody to tell me where to get a donut, right? You following me? If, if it's tomorrow morning and you aren't blessed, you weren't blessed to know that there's a coffee oasis right here, and you're craving coffee because your coffee maker broke and you need coffee, what is your greatest need at that point if you don't know where the closest coffee oasis is? It's for somebody to tell you where the coffee oasis is or a coffee shop if you're less spiritual, you know. <laughs> the, uh, it's for somebody to help you to meet what you see as your need is. If Jesus is the greatest need then, my question is, is why don't we daily live recognizing him as our need? And I think the answer is, is because our greatest need is for somebody to help us to see Jesus, is for somebody to help us recognize our need of Jesus. 
You know, we just finished a five-week series on discipleship, on what it means to be a mature disciple of Jesus. It means to be somebody who's committed to follow Jesus, to grow in our understanding and intimacy with Jesus, to somebody to to be committed to gathering together, to giving as we understand just the incredible grace that is ours in Jesus. And then to, and then to be people committed to inviting other people to follow Jesus. But, you know, we could come to an end of a series like that and say, man, I agree with all that, but I'm just not doing it. I still find it so hard every day to follow Jesus to spend time with Jesus. And I think that's because our greatest need is to be helped to pursue Jesus, to understand Jesus, to know Jesus. And so the big question, what really is our greatest need as we come to John and this passage starting at 26, I think the answer is that our greatest need is for the Holy Spirit of God. And you know, this has been an incredible passage for me because I am, I think, just like you. I find it so easy to go through my days not recognizing my need of the Spirit in my life. The Spirit to open my eyes to see Jesus, to to stir my heart in order to want to go after Jesus, to spend time in prayer, to spend time in His Word. Because I can find it so easy for me just to crank through my day, right? <laughs> because I know how to make decisions and I know how to do things and, and it's how easy it is for us to not recognize our need of Jesus. And so this passage is wonderful and just revealing to us again the Holy Spirit and how important he is in our lives. If we can come to verse 26, first of all, it just in these first two verses, it just kind of gives us an introduction to the Holy Spirit, who he is. It calls him an advocate when the advocate comes. And the word is paraclete, and literally it means to be called alongside. So the Holy Spirit is, notice, whom I will send to you from the Father. It's a gift from the Father that Jesus sends the Spirit of truth to come alongside us and to open our eyes to see the truth. That's who the Holy Spirit is. He's he's God given to us to help us to see Jesus. Um, So now as we go on from there, there's kind of two. We're going to skip to verse 8 because there's kind of two ways where this passage wonderfully talks about why we need the Spirit. The first is that the world, meaning out there needs the Spirit. In order to come into a relationship with Jesus, in order to see Jesus, we need the Spirit. In order for you to be here this morning believing in Jesus, that had to be the Holy Spirit that did that. So first we're going to look at the world, and we're going to really answer three questions why the world needs the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to shift to, as Jesus spoke really directly to his disciples and us, saying, ask two questions why we continue to need the Holy Spirit. In verse 8 it says, when he, the Spirit, comes, 
he will prove the world to be in the wrong. And it's, that's a, a long phrase, and it's really just one word in the original language, and it means to like convict or convince that when the Spirit comes, he will convict or convince regarding these three things. The first is about sin, and it really is an answer to the question, what is wrong with our world? Do you ever ask yourself that question? I mean, I think everybody's asking, what is wrong with our world? Well, the Holy Spirit, his job and why we need him is to convince us what is wrong because the world doesn't see really what's wrong. Um, The world's thinking, as I just tried to jot some things down, is that my need is, or what my problem is, financial. It's sociological. I, I was meeting with a group of homeless providers a few months back, and, and the question what is really was, what's wrong? And I answered by saying that we are broken. That was my simple answer, as we are a broken people. And I was incredibly, amazed at how immediately all of them negatively responded to me and say, no, people aren't broken. Society is broken. Have you heard that? That the problem isn't me. The problem is around me. It's poverty or it's the lack of jobs or it's, it's our leadership. It's financial. It's physical, mental, emotional. But the problem isn't something inside of me. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit because in Romans 6.23 it says the wages of sin is death. In Romans 3.23 it says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The answer to the question what is wrong is in our world is sin is what is wrong. I mean there's a lot of wrongs but fundamentally what is wrong is sin that is separating us from God and so we need the Holy Spirit Notice it says he will convince about sin because people do not believe in me. Why do people not believe? Because they don't see the need of Jesus because they don't see their real need. And the only way that somebody can see their real need is if the Holy Spirit opens their eyes to see that their real need is their sin that separates them from God. The second question that we could answer is, if what is wrong is sin, what is the solution? And so if people are seeing is, you know, that the problem is financial, sociological, generational, physical, mental, then what is the answer? Well, the answer is whatever our world can together decide what the answer is. There is no objective moral standard. There's no objective moral truth it's whatever is true for you is true for you but it might not be true for me and so the answer is situational or sociological the answer isn't what the spirit needs to convince us of and open our eyes to notice it says he will convince about righteousness because I'm going to the father where you can see me no longer because Jesus no longer lives among us we don't see 
righteousness. We don't see truth. Jesus, it says in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And so we need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to what the need is and what the solution is. The solution is Jesus. He's the only one who can truly solve our problem because he's the one who went to the cross and said, paid in full, right? Paid in full. Our sin is taken care of. Our sin is paid. So that's why it says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're here this morning and your eyes haven't been opened to your real problem, sin, and the real solution, Jesus, then you're outside of the life that God promises that is only available in Jesus. I'll quote one more time, maybe my all-time favorite verse in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It brings these two together wonderfully where it says, God made, God the Father made Jesus who knew no sin, right? He was the sinless son of God. He was righteousness. He was truth. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And so when Jesus hung on the cross, he was hanging there in our place as sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And the only way you can know that and believe that and not see that it's all foolishness as it describes in 1 Corinthians, it says that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe, to those whose eyes haven't been opened to the Holy Spirit because they say that, that's silly. And so we need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes to what our real need is so we can experience the real solution, Jesus, so that we don't have to fear. The answer to the third question is, how are things going to end up? Is there really a judgment? And so the Holy Spirit, it says, convinces about judgment because the prince of this world now stand condemned. The devil who initially tempted Adam and Eve and who led our world into separation from God stands condemned and along with him everyone who doesn't acknowledge their sin and their need of Jesus as their savior. And so our world's thinking is there is no judgment. That maybe things just kind of work out or we just die and that's the end or or that our good deeds can outweigh our bad deeds. And so they deny judgment or maybe they fear judgment unless the Holy Spirit opens their heart and their mind and their eyes to see that that the problem is sin, that Jesus is the Savior, and therefore there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit has to convince what it says in Hebrews 9.27 that people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment uh, unless there is no condemnation because they're in Christ Jesus. And so the world, every one of us at one point needed the Holy Spirit to convince us about sin 
and about righteousness and about judgment. If you're, if you have a friend that you're wanting to share Jesus with, to me, this is so important because it reminds us that you can tell them all the right things. You can have all the right answers. But unless the Holy Spirit opens their heart and their eyes and their minds to see, it's going to be foolishness. And so what do we need to do? We need to pray. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to open their eyes, to open their hearts so that they could see and believe. And so then it says, if we go on, that it says, as Jesus focused his attention on his disciples, because they say, well, now we have the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, it says, if, if we're his children, we have the Holy Spirit. Does that mean everything's fine? No, but we, we need that, we still need to realize that we need the Holy Spirit. And there's two questions I think that, that this could answer. The first one is, I think we're constantly asking ourselves, how can I know Jesus better? I mean, I hope you're asking that. In Philippians 3.10, Paul says, I want to know Christ. That was his passion. I want to know Christ. Is that your passion? I want to know Christ. Then you need the Spirit. Because in verse, you notice it says, when he, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He won't speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, Jesus, because it is from Jesus that he will receive what he will make known to you. Jesus is the truth. And the Holy Spirit's, our need of him is that he would keep leading us into the truth to know Jesus. So as Paul says, I want to know Christ. And we say, I want to know Christ, that we recognize that if we want to know him and if we're going to grow in him, if we're going to follow him, we daily need the Holy Spirit to be convicting us and convincing us and leading us into truth. If we go back to verse 7, I think there's an answer to another question that is important. As Jesus was leaving, he said that the Holy Spirit would be a comfort. The Holy Spirit would also give them protection as they would face persecution. But in verse 7, I think in, in answer to another question, and we saw just a wonderful testimony of Cheryl this morning, of the power of of God to heal her. I think another question, not only how can I know Jesus, but how can I know his power? How can I know his power? How can I, how can I see him work in my life and through my life in the same way that Cheryl experienced? In verse seven, Jesus says, truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. And you know, when Jesus told his disciples that, they had to be saying, you got to be kidding me. How can it be for my good that you're going? But it was for their good because Jesus says, unless I go away, the advocate, the one who will come alongside you, who will be in you, he won't come. Jesus says, I'm among you and I'm your example. But when I leave, he will come and he'll be in you and he'll be with you empowering you to live the way I lived and to do the things that I do. A couple of verses I'd just like to quote for you. In John fourteen twelve, 
Jesus told his disciples just before this. He said, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And that's exactly what happened as we, as we come to the end of the Gospels and we go into the book of Acts. Isn't that exactly what you see? We just see incredible works as the, as the power of the Holy Spirit was present in and through them doing incredible works, greater works than Jesus did because the Holy Spirit came. Luke 4.18, it's a verse that I've been memorizing and just meditating on because I think this is exactly what Jesus is saying about himself here, quoting in Isaiah is what he wants to pass on to his disciples and on to us. Luke 4.18, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. See, as Jesus lived and as he did what he did and as he said what he said, he did it and he said it in the power of the Spirit. It wasn't him as God doing what we couldn't do, but it was him as a human being filled with the Spirit showing us how we can live and how we can operate. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, people enslaved by sin, recovery of sight for the blind, healing, and to set the oppressed free. Transformation from oppression, from addiction, from abuse, from our past. And it's that same Spirit of the Lord that Jesus said, that's why I need to go. So that when I leave, he will come. And in the same way that I preached the good news and healed and delivered and set free, that you can do the same thing as you recognize your need of the Spirit. And he lives and operates through you. The the simple point is our greatest need is the Spirit. Do do we realize that this morning? Um, How often do you go through your day thinking that you can do it? How often do I live, perform, speak, thinking I can do it? What are we going to do about it? I'd like to read three verses. Just listen to what they say. John 15, 7. Jesus says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. John 16, 24. Jesus said, Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. What are we to ask? Luke eleven thirteen. Jesus says, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Are we asking? Now we have the Holy Spirit. He lives within us. But are we asking the Holy Spirit to fill us? to change us, 
to break us, to convict us, to empower us, to use us? Or are we just going through our lives in our own strength, in our own ability, in our own power, and not experiencing what we could through the power of the Holy Spirit? Oh, Father in heaven, pour out your Holy Spirit on us. Can we ask that? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, again, I realize and I confess so often I quench you, I grieve you, I ignore you, I act as if I don't even need you. When your word makes it so clear that apart from you, we can't do anything. Oh, Holy Spirit, open our hearts, open our minds to realize how desperately we need you to live for you, to live for Jesus, and to glorify Jesus in this world that we live. Oh, Holy Spirit, fill us, use us, change us, empower us. In Jesus' name, amen.